Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Wolf. Here it is. Our final Noir November for inaugural Noir November month. Yeah, man. Uh, we, this is one that's been planned like from the very beginning. This this movie that you're looking at. I, unfortunately for me, I I fell in love with the first full on noir movies that we watched. That when I went back to this, which most movie I've felt always been very fond of, it definitely fits within our better remember remember better movies. I don't know it about does. you. I mean, yeah. I, I'm the same way, man. I, I feel like this this is a movie I've always loved, and like, right. of course, I was like, yeah, it's gonna be great. We're gonna talk about it. I even think I said it last. Like, I, we that, did. You know, we both said it. <laughs> and uh, and here here's the here's the hard cold facts of life. While it is still an entertaining movie, it doesn't hold a candle to any of the three we watched or to the original DOA with Edmund O'Brien from 1949. And the reasons why are, it's funny because I'm I'm sure you're going to say the same thing. The reasons why this movie doesn't hold up are all the reasons I fell in love with this movie when I saw it in 1988. But in 2023, I don't like any of it. I mean, not that I don't like the movie, but I just, a lot of the stuff that I thought was cool when I was 17 years old, I just... I realize now that I know more about film, I, it's just, you know, there's a lot of fun stuff in this movie, but then there's a lot of just shit. You're just like, fuck off. Come on. Right. You, when you have, like I mentioned early on in, in the month. So let's just start with the directors. Yes. Right? So let, let's let's, take, let's yeah. take the three, the directors of the other three movies. All right. <laughs> let's just go there to start. <laughs> let's just jump right to it. Annabelle Jankel and, and Rocky Morton are the, the, the directors of Tashes. Now, their claim to fame... Music videos. <laughs> music videos. And Max Headroom was their big thing, too. Paranomia. You've got two people that came from music video land. And, and what does boy, this movie look like? It looks like a motherfucking music video. It yes. looks like a 90-minute... Sorry, I mean, let me specify a 96 minute music video. Yep. And, and from the 80s, too. I mean, got to be very specific to that. And the reason yes. why I want to be from 1988 specifically because, <laughs> because the beginning of the movie, fuck, okay, we'll get, move the color palette to the inside because we'll come back to it because it's definitely one of the highlights of the, of the movie and one of the smarter choices that were, were made in the movie. Uh huh. But when you get to that first musical cue, it sounds like an outtake from the Footloose soundtrack. Like it's so much, it sounds so much like Footloose. You're waiting for that Telecaster down and you're waiting for that to come right? in because it sounds so much like that. And there's a reason why. Because Tim Buck Three, yeah, <laughs> they are. I'm like, I had no. I, first of all, I, I and they're in the movie, and they're in the movie, and I'm like, going, is that Tim Buck Three? And then I start, I start looking at IMDb, and I'm like, oh my god, they have so many fucking songs. Wait, did they score this thing too? Well, finger quotes around score. This is a, an audio podcast, but I'm finger quoting score here. It is a giant 1988 music video. Yeah. Absolutely. Remember when you used to see... It's like long form, like a long yes, exactly. form video, right? Exactly. Something we, we got on VHS when it was like an 18-minute version of a song where they actually took time and made a little movie in between Bougie. the lyrics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bad. Thriller. <laughs> Is that the pitch that, that Janko no. and Morton gave? Who I knows? Guess. It must, must have been, been because they nailed it. <laughs> they did. They nailed it. I mean, and, and in that context, it's a fucking raging success. I mean, it's a, yes, 100%. We're a year after Joe Dante's Inner Space, where we both fell in love with these two people. Yeah, dude, the on screen couple, for sure. And the ironic thing is, they didn't start dating until they were filming this. Right. DOA. Right. Because he was still with Leah Thompson, no? 
Mm, that I can't be sure on. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, it's maybe, maybe, maybe not. Here's something funny, but we're only a year away from when Harry met Sally. The way that you make Meg Ryan look. Dude. And when Harry met Sally, they always pulled her age up. They always made her look a lot older than she was because she was trying to match up with Billy Crystal. But she does. She looks younger here than she did in her space. Dude, right. She's 26 here, right? And yeah. she looks 18. Now, we got her three years in a row. We got her a Top Gun, and we got her in her space, and we got her this. So, like, one, yep. two, three. And she looks the same for the most part in all three movies. Sure. But when he ends up, uh, where's he at? Uh, one of the, I think before he super glues himself to her, she, you see when she's her. she's in, like in her Freudian slip? Yes. 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 Yeah, totally. She looks, she looks the most like she does, like, in, in Sally, Harry and Sally, but... Dude, for me, that is the most attractive moment. That's the most I've ever been attracted to Meg Ryan ever is in that moment with the Freudian slip when she's putting on that shirt. I'm just like, oh my God. And I, and I love Meg Ryan, but that's the moment where I was like, and she's great. And there's one thing that's said about her. And I know, I know it sounds funny to say it like this. And I, and I, I think most people can kind of get what I'm saying when I say it. She's so girl next door that you never look at her in that context. You never look at her like she's a, she's sexy context. You're looking at her like she's, oh, that's why that was always her draws. Like that's somebody that you marry kind of thing. So you never looked at her the way you look at somebody like Linda Fiorentino, where you're like going, that woman's hot. That's the differential for me anyway. So when you see her in this, she does have that moment. But I, I don't think I've ever seen any moment in any movie with her where I wasn't completely enamored and adoring of her. But rarely was I ever like, man, she's hot. No, 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 totally. I mean, for me, it's the same thing. In that way, in that smoldering way. I don't even think she's yeah. smoldering in this. And I think that's one of the... But I mean, that's I'm giving the two extremes here as an example of what I'm saying. No, I'm just saying that's one of the problems maybe with... I don't know. There, she's, she's so cute. And also, I want to say, again, I never thought of this before. Quaid seems a little bit young for his role as Dexter Cornell. As far as yeah. like classic noir vibe goes. And again, that's just me like now, like when, when I saw it when I was 17, 18, I, you know, Dennis Quaid was, I love fucking Quaid. Dude. He was, you know, between Interspace, this, the Big Easy, Right Stuff, all those, you know, I mean, Dreamscape. Like Quaid was like an actor, like I would go see whatever, any movie he was in, Enemy Mine, all of them. So it's just weird, like watching it now. It's just, uh, I don't know. There's something about the two of them. It, 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 and maybe it's because I, because we have all the history on them. We know that they were a couple of real life and everything else. It seems weird watching them run. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. I don't know how to describe it. Well, you know, it's funny. Evan O'Brien basically plays the same character in the original yeah. 1949 Frank Bigelow character. But he was 35. I know, but I'm saying you look at uh, Quaid, he just, Quaid looks really young. He but does. Edmund O'Brien looks like a, you know, 50 year old man. <laughs> Again, right? to, if you listen to Kickstart this week, you, you, we, 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 we had this whole conversation. Yes. Again, it's a different time, it's a different place. Yes. You know, for sure. But it's just weird because Quaid just seems very youthful, I guess, is what I'm, is. He, but he always did. Right? No, that's what he, I mean. Right. Yeah. Like from the t first time we saw him, like, you know, in the right stuff as Gordo or in Jaws 3D. <laughs> yeah. He's always had that younger look to him. And I, in, a, in a lot of ways that's hurt him. He's gotten, he ended up getting the, the roles that he got because he was a draw. 
he doesn't, it wasn't always because he was the right, right guy for the, for the job. Yeah. And again, it's not really a problem for the movie because no. the, the two of them aren't the problem. I mean, some of the writing is, I don't know. There's a lot of dumb choices that are made. And I feel like there's too much story. Like they literally, they're, they're just trying to cram so much stuff in and some of it's just dumb or not interesting and it doesn't move the story along. It just kind of drags right. it all to a screaming, screeching halt. I could red pencil four characters out of this movie right now. <laughs> right. And that's something else too, but I mean, we're going to make the comparison because uh, you know, I want to say it's a one-to-one remake, but it was enough of a remake that uh, Russell Rouse and Clarence Green, the original screenwriters for the 1949 DOA, have co-writing credits because there's yeah. not much of their stories being utilized. Yeah. But that movie was only 83 minutes. Yeah. You tell me why this needs to be 96 minutes. And, and it all just has proved to your point. It's longer than it needs to be. Yeah. You could shave 10 minutes off this and it's still keep it its own thing. I mean, there's some interesting sequences, but then I'm like, when I'm watching, was watching the movie, I'm like, I don't really need this. And where did the fucking tar pit in the middle of fucking, you know, I don't know where University of Texas campus come from. What what are we doing here? How do we get into, are we in Los Angeles? Boy, that was one thing that like threw me off. Because I'm watching the whole movie. I'm like, where the fuck was this shot? And I, and I completely forgot what the location was. Right. Then I did my little quick research and and I'm like, oh my God, really? That then when they end up when his car ends up in the tarpon, I'm like, all right, now where the fuck am I? Right, where where is this? Uh, yeah, I got, and I had to Google. I, I looked up. I was like, is there a tar pit on the campus at University of Texas? And the answer is no. But again, the sequence itself is kind of fun, except for you know where it's going. You're, you're right. like when 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 Bernard is riding on the hood of the car with waving that giant gun. Here's my, the funniest moment in the movie. It's unintentionally funny too. Is when Cookie Fitzwaring comes in to the barn yes. when and she's waving that gun around, dude. <laughs> oh yeah. God. First of all, it's 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 like, can we just get the actress a smaller pistol? That would have been me if I was a director. Can we get a gun that that she can actually hold? And okay. and, and can somebody can we get the props or the armor in here? Can you please show her how to hold again? Because literally, she's it's wagging around. It looks like... Okay. I, I, am I wrong? <laughs> no. And the reason why I'm... this literally just hit me. This is not a shtick. We did not talk about this ahead of time. But do you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the year before in her space when Meg Ryan's got the yes. gun. Oh, my God. Is it not the same thing? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> and maybe they're, maybe they're paying homage to it. But it, again, it's distracting as fuck. <laughs> It really is, but but it, it looks funny as fuck in the barn in this movie. But when you watch it in space, it totally works because it, it's supposed to be a funny it's moment where this, where this meek little woman that Meg Ryan's playing just all of a sudden goes, "I gotta shoot this gun off." I think it's sure. Cowboy's gun, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. But again, I mean, it, it's not supposed to be funny or lighthearted no. or anything in this movie. It's supposed to be <laughs> right. serious. And like, you know, this is a very serious moment where we're getting a bunch of exposition from Charlotte Rampling right, about, we, you know, <laughs> about Nick Lang, um, you know, her and Bernard, her manservant. One more thing I got to throw out there. We've talked about certain movies that have a twist ending. We talked about this briefly during our April Fool month and this has got so many more elements of Chinatown than I remembered. I didn't remember the brother and sister situation. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember it until like, I didn't remember until like it right when it was about, wait, why is, why is that mom all pissy? I'm like, Oh wait, wasn't she banging their brother? And I'm like, that was yeah. the, it was like, I, I, I completely forgot about it. And, and, uh, but it, it is very Chinatowny and I felt like this version of DOA was channeling that, 
you know, oh, it was trying to channel. You, you're absolutely right. It was trying to channel a few too many things, right? Other than just DOA. If they would have just stuck to channeling DOA, I, I think the movie's better for it. Like I right. felt, it just feels overstuffed. Like there's right. like just too much shit in a fucking. You know, it's like you've stuffed 15 pounds of shit in a 10 pound bag, right? And what's what's odd, and then this is another one of those things that to me just a head scratcher. How do the two people that come from music video world make a video, make a, essentially a video that's too long? They're used to working in confines of a three minute song. So how do they make a movie that's fifteen minutes too long? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, yes, if you cut fifteen minutes, if this movie was, I, look, here's the thing: if you just cut ten minutes, out, if this was an eighty-eight minute movie. You can't give it 80. If you go between 88 and 90 minute movie, because I, I feel like a lot of the extra bullshit going surrounding that, the incestual, the, act. the incestual thing, you, you could get yes. that out of there, still make your point and it'd still be under 92 minutes. Dude. Yes. A hundred percent. There, there's some, like I said, I could take a red pen and I could scratch four names right <laughs> off of this right now. Characters that we don't need. Yes. But let's concentrate. All that being said, I still enjoy the movie. I do yes. like the way the movie looks as a 1980s neo-noir. Oh, yeah. And, is, yeah. and that's exactly what it is. It's super successful. They made a bunch of them in the 80s. Like No Way Out was a was a remake right. against all odds, which, you know, everybody knows it's one of my favorite movies fucking ever. The Postman Always Rings Twice with Nicholson right. and Lang. I mean, they, they did do direct one-for-one and I feel all those movies are more successful and better than this one because they basically stuck to the one-to-one as opposed to trying to shoehorn other favorite movies or movie pieces, you know, Chinatown, et cetera. It's things that don't need to be in this movie. Like, really, like, he's a, you know, the, the best thing about this movie is that he is a professor and a writer because, like, mm. how many movies has anyone ever wanted to off a professor uh, you know what I mean? Like for the reasons that he's, you know, that, that it all right. comes down to. Right. The, the stuff that this movie does well. I mean, dude, some of the casting is great. Like, oh, I casting love- choices, like yeah, beyond the two that we've already mentioned, you know, obviously the leads, Dennis right. Quaid. And, and that's something else too, Bill Craig. I always thought Meg Ryan was in this a lot less. Oh yeah. Than she is. I mean, it's funny because uh, I always forget that she shows up and then goes away and then comes back. Right. Because he passes out, Quaid passes out in her apartment before right. he's poisoned. Right. You know, I forgot that whole thing. I, you know, I remember she was in the class and then, you know, but I, I couldn't, you know, it was foggy because I hadn't seen it in a while. Right. That stuff is great. And and she is, look, she is good. Quaid is great. I mean, really, yeah. he is. He's very good. But let's talk about Charlotte Rampling, dude. I yeah. forgot Charlotte Rampling. And I love Charlotte Rampling. And yeah. Charlotte Rampling is somebody who shows up and, dude, she's like a neo-noir staple. Like, if right. you want... That person, who's on the list? It doesn't matter. Just get me Charlotte Rampling. I don't care about any of the other names. You know, Jane Kaczmarek is funny because I, I would say I forgot Jane Kaczmarek plays his, uh, plays Gail Cornell, his, his, his uh, soon-to-be ex-wife. Right. I forgot about that until she shows up dressed like Mrs. Claus, which it really threw me off. And it, I was like, and again, I forgot this was a Christmas movie. 
right? Yeah. It's a, it's our, it fits into our, is it a Christmas movie? Goddamn right it is. Cause it's Christmas time while it's happening. So sure. It's a Christmas movie. They, so there's fall into a tree. There's, there's Christmas decorations on the bridge. <laughs> it's very Christmassy. This fits the argument, by the way, when people say is Die Hard a Christmas movie just because it came out in summer, they say no bullshit. This movie came out in March. It's yeah. still Christmas and we should shut the fuck up. Totally. I mean, in the, fir- the in the very first scene where he falls into the police station, he crashes into the cop's desk. He knocks over the little Christmas tree. So there you yeah. go. Yeah. But Jane Kaczmarek, Daniel Stern, who during this time period hadn't sort of become the sort of go-to douchebag villain yet. Right. <laughs> Did he sort of, you know, it's funny watching it this time. It's like, I, like I said to you earlier, I was like, man, if I was Quaid, the first guy I'd look at is Daniel Stern. I'd just go and I'd watch some other Daniel Stern movies and be right. like, yeah, it's him. But but for us, they're playing on breaking away. They're playing on yes, that totally. aspect. Right, but exactly. Not, but that's, and then in 88, that's how you're looking at it. <laughs> you're, right. not, you're not even looking in that way. But for now, this is actually the beginning where he started doing that because two years later, he would do Home Alone and he set that well, whole thing in motion. Even before that, he was six pack in Leviathan. Oh, that's right. Yeah, one of my favorite movies. Year before that, uh, right? He's great, and and again, he's giving a performance where you're like, oh man, you know. And, and again, because of their relationship and breaking away, we think that it would never be Daniel's turn. Would they're friends? They've been friends since 1981, right? When they rode bikes together, right? <laughs> But then again, Rob Nepper, who's in the movie for like a heartbeat as Nick Lang, you know, and Robert Nepper is one of those guys that you probably don't know his name, but if you look up his IMDb, he's in a bazillion things you've seen from TV shows. He's very familiar. And this is kind of one of his early roles. And, you know, and and he's pretty good as Nick, like the two scenes that he has, right? Like the scene on the staircase. Dude. Yeah. I love him in everything he does. Yeah, he's, he's great. so good. Yeah, dude, he's a, he's he's in Hitman. He's in one of the trans. I think he's in a Transporter movie. He was on Prison Break forever. The show, right. um, but he's one of those guys that you're like Robert Nepper. Why do I know Robert Nepper? Just look him up. He, but he's a, he's fantastic. And then you get Brian James, dude. I totally when Brian James showed up, I literally was like, fuck yeah, out loud. Dude. Him and Jack Keogh, yeah, as the detectives. Yeah, both of them, right? Where you see them in the very beginning. They're, they're part of the first three people that you see, really, when yes, when Quay sits down with them. And then they just start, ah, dude. Okay, you brought some points since I'm, I'm mentioning that scene. They're both really great. I don't want to break away from the cast for a second, but you started to bring it up, and it's definitely the most striking thing about the movie and how it starts. It starts off in black and white. Yep. Again, I'm not surprising that the kind of choice they make from coming from music video directors with where you know music videos are always style over substance. And, and yeah. this movie is chock full of style over this substance. This movie is exactly, you just nailed it. This yeah. movie is 100% style over substance. And that's okay. It's okay. It just doesn't hold up 35 yeah. years later. Correct. <laughs> right. Because styles change. Yeah. Substance yeah. stays the same. But the, those, but the, if there were two great choices in the movie that, 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 that are casting choices that are brilliant were starting the movie in black and white and ending the movie in black and white. I just yeah. thought that was really clever. Well, one of the things, it, it, visual storytelling, right? We always talk right. about the visuals. It, so starting in black and white where he's poisoned and then as he goes into his flashback, we, 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 we're in color again. I mean, we're in pretty vibrant color, right? Right. But the movie, it, it continues to desat- to desaturated color. As he gets sicker, the color is drained out of the image we're looking at. As, 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 right. as he gets sicker on the poison and he's dying, so is the color in the movie. And right. 
right up to the very end where it goes back to black and white and we know that yeah. but it's very subtle right and you and you don't notice it you, like right. you say, it's, it's very subtle and it's not until the whole movie's done where you're kind of sitting around having pie and coffee with your buddies afterwards you're like holy fuck i just realized something <laughs> right no totally it wasn't this is one of those moments where making my style a little over substance crack kind of here's here's where i have problems with my own my own statement it is as much substance as it is style in that moment because it's it's very so it's a subliminal message that's being sent to you. It's a subconscious thing where you're like, oh, I get it now. It isn't just black and white ending it like as a tribute to a noir as a story. Like you said, he's yeah, it's black and white at the beginning because he's dying. When we see him at the end of the movie, it's it's only moments after we see him at the beginning, beginning of the movie, right? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and that's kind of one of the, I mean, again, style over substance. This movie is loaded with style. Like, oh, it, at the, and that's one, one of the things yeah. when I saw it, you know, as a young moviegoer um, that I thought was awesome. And it, again, it spoke to me because here's the thing. It's funny. Like, I remember seeing this and then I watched the original DOA because I was working at a video store. And the original DOA was, you know, it was a black and white movie, whatever. Yeah. I didn't have the appreciation but all these years later watching them, because I watched the original after I watched this, the original is definitely a better movie than this. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not a knock so much on this, is, is, but you just nailed it. I didn't, I, I, I right earlier I said, like, I don't know how to put this in words. You did it. It's style over substance. So while the style is what originally attracted me to this movie, the substance is what keeps you going back to the original. Right. So... But back to the cast real quick. In our, if you blink, you'll miss him. John Hawks is in this movie. Yes. <laughs> as are um, Barbara and Pat McDonald, also known as Tim Book Three. Yeah. They're like, when you see the very beginning, okay, like when I, and I know, I'm not, I said to say this on mic, right? Because I know I said it before we did Kickstarter. And I, like I said it, I just in case I didn't say it before I hit record. The Footloose thing, I mean, really, I, I know you sound like, it sounds like I'm exaggerating this. It literally sounds like an, a Kenny Loggins outtake. It's so out of place, dude. It's so out of place. Yes. The score really is a, does a disservice to the film, I, right. I think. I mean, that was, like I said, when we first got on, my biggest problem with the movie was the score and the, what I'm watching, what I'm hearing aren't, they're not, they're not working with each other. Yeah. Now, maybe, maybe I loved them then, but I don't, I don't remember. I was talking about how it sounds like I was waiting for that Telecaster twang to come in that you hear yeah okay so there's a reason why it sounded that way is because Chaz Jankel who who the guy like lives on telecasters and strats he's the one to the score he was um he was a session player but he was also in the brother the of the director that, yeah and he's also a band of the, the, the have you been in LA at all um, you used to see these guys called the Blockheads playing around town. Yeah. But they were they were they were like a last minute opening act if you ever played in the UK or whatever. But yeah, so there's there's a reason why it sounds like Footloose right there out takes because it's very Footloosey. Yes, I mean we're only f- five years, right? We figure it's probably four years after Footloose came out that he was scoring this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but it's so out of place. It is. I mean. I mean- uh, again, a lot of it's out of place. Even even like when they go, you know, I mean, where it does work is when they're, you know, when he's out with Sydney and they're traipsing through the, you know, 6th Street uh, right. in downtown Austin. They go into the Continental Club and maybe we're in Maggie Mays. Such a big easy moment, by the way. Yeah, oh, dude. 
It, it literally, I was like, wait a second. Okay. Cause that was the, that was the exact moment that I grabbed my phone to check location because yeah. I'm like, oh, this fucking feels like New Orleans. And then I, you, you might as well put him holding on to Ellen Barkin walking yep. through. The, I mean, that's totally. what I thought of right away. And, and, uh, this came after or before, I think it came before, I think, I think oh man, a year before maybe 87. Yeah. Yeah. So a year before this or six months before some, yeah. Interesting. Cause even that musical note, dude, kind of sounds like some Cajun music when they first go into the Continental Club, but it's cool. I mean, like, here's the thing. It's fun to see a movie shot in, you know, it wasn't in Los Angeles. It wasn't in New York. You know, I remember thinking, God, I always thought it was cool. Cause I hadn't been to Austin, Texas right. yet when I saw this. But when I got to Austin, Texas, I went to the Continental Club, you know, I went to the University of Texas, uh, campus. You know, I, I did all the things and partially I was like, oh, when I, when I got the Continental Club, I was like, oh man, this is what they shot here on DOA. And I'm telling my friends and they're like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. We come here every week. <laughs> like, well, okay. You know, for me, it was cool because I remembered it from the movie. Right. But the score, yeah, it, it, it's, it's working against what's happening visually on the screen. Right. I mean, maybe at the time it was fine, but now it just seems weirdly dated and, and, Kind of, I don't know, yeah. just out of out of sync. Yeah, if they had done a more traditional score, like big, you know, big brass stuff that we normally see with with a noir movie, I think it would have worked better. We talked about during Mona Lisa how out of I want to say out of place, but the Genesis needle drop, the, just the just the needle drop of uh, that song is so it it breaks up breaks the movie. This happens two or three times where they have cues like that that just go what am i listening does they screw up this in this transcode because i don't what the, how does this i don't remember this song being like i it was it's very weird it does and it, it and it happens in moments that kind of you just had a really good dramatic moment or good scene between a couple of performers and, and and you're kind of getting in the movie and then it's just like somebody just grabs you by both your shoulders and shakes you and said and, and distracts you from what the fuck you're watching. It's I've never had a score be that out of place for a movie like this. Yeah. It's very weird, man. I mean, again, the things that this movie does right, there are some great, um, there's some great camera work. There's some really mm -hmm. interesting shots, some very, you know, obviously homages to Hitchcock, like when Kazmarek, when when uh, when they find when she finds out uh, Nick has committed suicide, the way the camera moves off of her in the yeah. in that crowded scene, yeah, you know when Quaid is looking down, when Sydney is hanging on, and they're glued together, and she's hanging outside the elevator. Although there's some very Hitchcockian moments in it, which again, visually it, it all works. It's just it's funny like watching it like. Okay, they got this, they got that, but then the score, like, right, you're, you know, this is where like Bernard Herman and a fucking army of violence <laughs> comes into these right. moments where we're getting like synthesizers and, you know, wah, 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 waiting for Kenny Loggins to fucking start belting out a tune in the background somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's just weird, but uh, but I do still enjoy the movie yeah. for the most part, but it did seem awfully long. <laughs> Like, I was like, oh, get on with it already. I already, you know, like that whole section again, we'll, let's go back to the tar pit section because I can't get that whole sequence out of my head I know. because it's, it's so, I know it's so like, I, and I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on why it bothers me so much. Like I, maybe it's the, I don't know, cookie. I, I don't, I'm not digging the actress playing cookie. The guy playing Bernard no. seems like. 
I've seen, I mean, I know he was, he's been in a ton of stuff and he's always good, but I feel like he felt sort of Bond villainish, which is funny because I think he is in a Bond movie. He's in one of the Dalton ones, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. There's just something weird about it. Like he, he seems totally out of place. Like, I mean, I, I love the fact that finally somebody found a use for a fucking um, cigarette lighter in an ashtray in a car. Right. Hey, do you smell something? <laughs> what are you doing back there? I thought for sure, dude, he was going to burn the side of the dude's face with it. Like after he burned, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, which didn't they, what was the, wasn't there a movie though, where like they, they used the car lighter and put it in his mouth and they taped it up. But that was a movie. That was something in a movie. Yeah. What was that? Um, I feel like that. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what movie that was. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't but matter. No, he's Christopher Neem is somebody you've, I've seen in enough things, but it was like, I was struggling to remember what I remember him from, but like other than license to kill, but like he was in those kind of movies, those kind of movies. And when I say yeah. those kind of movies, I mean like steel dawn. Yeah. I mean like suburban commando. He's in the mummy, the uh, tomb of the, you know, he's, I think he's, uh, yeah, fine. That, well, he was, was he in the prestige? Let's look at it. Let's yeah. see what he was in. So, uh, yeah. He's in the prestige, but that was like the biggest thing he was in right. as far as like uh, studio movies. But before this, no, yeah, he's a, he's been wasn't a ton of TV stuff. He just seems very like out of I don't know, man. He was in Street Night, <laughs> Human Target, yeah, and Hellbound, Boris and Natasha. Hell, yes, he he seems <sighs> okay. like somebody out of a fuck one of the one of the bad Hellraiser sequels. Right. So hell, no, no, it's not, it's not the hellbound you think of. It's the hellbound that we almost Chuck did. Norris? The Chuck Norris one. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So yes, I had seen tons of him cause he'd been on the A team fall guy. Every, every TV show I watched as a kid riptide. Right. But again, that's not why he bothers me. He just bugs me. Cause he seems like he's out of it. Like, you know, he just seems weirdly out of place in fucking 1988, Austin, Texas to show up in this movie. Like, you know, right. Well, there's that, but it's also he, his moments and their fit within that six or seven minutes. We we're talking about trimming to cut out. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, like he's one of the guys who would get a red pen from me. Yeah. Whoop. Yeah. Cause I mean, do you need him there? No. You could have had you could have had extras. You could have had stunt players handling that duty. He didn't have to have any lines. We, or we brought back, or just bring the cops into it at that point. Like, okay, so if you haven't seen the movie, and he Charlotte Rampling's like flunky. Yeah, like he's it, her it, man Friday. They could have easily taken any of her line, any of his lines, if it would, if they're necessary, and put them in here sure. in, in her mouth. They did, and just yeah. cut out two or three minutes of the movie. Or, or just give me one scene with her doing all. I mean, I just feel like he, there's two, there's three scenes with, you know, he maybe needs one or, I don't know, lose one of those scenes. Right. Preferably the one where they end up in the La Brea tar pits. <laughs> in Texas. It just, I was like, and again, it's, it's, it's interesting, but it's clunky as fuck. Like the whole scene, yeah. you know, and you know, Cookie's going to get a bullet to the head through the windshield. Right. I mean, he's waving that giant gun around too. He doesn't, he's not any better with it than she was, honestly. I know. My favorite shot of the movie, though, by the way, is right after Dexter approaches uh, uh, Charlotte Rampling and she confesses everything. Yeah. The last shot after she kills herself and she's laying on the pool yes, table. Yes, dude, that right? I mean, no. <laughs> again. But I'm saying, again. <laughs> great mo oh, great moment. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Not good moments. Great moments. This movie's full of great moments. Yes. It, that's the drag about it is like it's these dumb little 80s things that take away from the movie. 
Yeah, and I, um, dude, I love Quaid in it, and I, and I love Meg Ryan, like her, uh, you know, her thing. Yeah. She said, I, "I just wanted to spend the night with you, not a yeah, not for, not for. I I just want to spend one night with you, not forever." That yes, was, <laughs> what I mean, a great line. Yeah, I mean, and there's lots of moments, and, and Quaid is quite good as, yeah. um, you know, as our doomed Dexter Cornell. And I look here's the thing. This is a movie we always talk about. You know, oh my god, that's the most. Is it 80s or 90s? We're always making fun of the names of characters. This actually has a good name. Like Dexter <laughs> Cornell's a great name. Yes. And I'm, I was trying to remember why is Dexter Cornell a great name? Because it's not his name. It, it, his name's Frank in the original. Yeah, it's Frank Bigelow. Right, but right. Dexter Cornell is a great name. That's that's a good name. Sydney Fuller. I knew a girl named Sydney Fuller. In, 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 you know, funny enough. Right. But Miss Fitzwaring, you know, I mean, none of none of Hal Peterson, none of those names jump out to me like we always like we were in the worst of ways. Cookie is like a little goofy because they're real names, right? Cookie Fitzwaring, Cookie, I get, you know, Cookie is very noir, like it's very like literally right. like they lifted it from you know some nineteen forties noir film. Nick Lang is a good name, yeah. I, I dig this. I, I here's what I could have done with a little bit more of this movie. I could have done with a little bit more Brian James and Jack Keogh. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like you know they're they're a little uh, they come and go. You kind of forget about them. But you know what? I could see them using them where they kind of come in and come out. But that would have been jarring for the audience yeah. to see. Right, and it's not them really come. about the cops anyway. Right, right. You, you look. Get rid of the butler. <laughs> Get rid of Bernard. Give right. me a little more Brian James. By the way, the only time that we see the cops, you know, that we see at the very beginning is when after Casmeric is bit it. And that's the only time we see them in color. Yes. Is that, is that moment. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, we always talk about it girls. All right. Dennis Quaid in 1988, he was the it dude. Yeah, totally. We talked, you already mentioned Jaws 3D and right stuff. Those are both the same year, 83. Mm -hmm. Then he did Dreamscape, and then that yep. was a surprise hit. Then he didn't do anything until Enemy Mine in 85. And Enemy right. Mine blew the fuck up. Who yep. knew? Nobody knew that movie was going to do what it did. Right. And then he did three movies in 87. And we already mentioned two of them. Big Easy, Inner Space, and the third one, Suspect. Which yeah, I dude, share. Fucking great movie, dude. Yeah, I love Suspect. It's on Tubi, actually. I just, I was, uh, when I was going through... Looking things up, um, I saw that it was on Tubi, so I just added it to my watch list. We talk about DOA and how young he looks in it, but how old does he look later on in the year when everybody's all American comes out? Yeah, right. I know it's it's wild. I was gonna say, you know, it's funny you brought up because I, I didn't want to, you know, f poison the well, but you brought up Suspect, and I was thinking. Would it have been better to watch Suspect as, as our neo noir? <laughs> I'm, I'm being totally been, serious. No, because, no, because Suspect was directed by Norman Jewison, I believe. No, 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 Peter Yates. Peter Yates. Okay, so but the guy who directed Bullet. But Eric Roth wrote it, so there's there's probably right. why you're getting that. Yeah. So, yeah. but I'm just saying, like you know, I, I was like, oh, that would. But I mean, again, I'm not mad that we watched DOA because I do love it no, and, I, and I do no. own it, and uh, you know, it's a movie that I literally. I pull reference stills from all the time, you know, the, the, the scene of them kissing in front of the blinds, you know, yeah. that's on the, the original movie. The, the original, right. Right. Yeah. Which I don't hate this. I don't hate the clock uh, poster. Either, no. Cause I think that was like an alternate cause it, it is no, one of that the original was, posters. That's the, no, that that's technically, that that's was a theatrical, the, theatrical poster. Right. 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 And um, then the 
shade one was the home video. Right, because they were trying to mark. They were trying to market, market to them as a the couple. As a couple, right, 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 right. Which right. is why, because of that, was remember that couple that thing came out. I'm like, I, I remember seeing it when it hit home video. I'm like, they're not, she, they're not together that much in the movie. So when I, in my head, I get back to watching it again, 35 years later, and I'm like, oh shit, this she's in this a lot more than I remember her being in it. I thought it was a misnomer to have her second billing, but you know what? She isn't in there that much. She really is. But Quaid. Like I was noting with those other movies, he did six different roles in that three-year period where it's like, yeah, I know it's Dennis Quaid, but he played up in age, oh. he played down in age, yeah, he dude. put on weight. He, I mean, he was doing everything. And people are talking about now, like, oh, he does all these incidental movies, you know, now. And I'm like, he was killing it between 87 and 92. So shut dude. up. There was a point where you couldn't get, I mean, look, if you didn't get Quaid, it was Costner. Those were the two guys right. doing these movies. They were like alternating them. And as a, that was the thing. I think Costner got opportunities because Dennis Quaid couldn't do them. Sure. Like, can you pick, can you imagine? I mean, yeah. I mean, look, here's the thing. You could, and here, what I would say is you could almost interchange these two guys in some of these roles and right. the movie would probably be just as good because they were very similar types. Like, I feel like it's personal preference. Which one do you like better? Do you like Quaid right. better? It's funny because I I would that's an interesting that's an interesting that's a, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, we always talk about there can only be one, but these well, not, not pulled, this time. Not, not this time. This is the, this this goes against our whole theory that that's well that's right. so the rarity. This the that's, universe, yes, this is where the universe like they left the hole. In the, <laughs> this is where they the, they left the hole in the universe open. Uh, the door didn't shut for either one of those guys, and, and good because I I enjoy almost everything that Dennis Quaid made between nineteen from Caveman. Yes. All the way up until, I don't know, I love him in, uh, I, mean, I think he was great. Dude, he's great all through the 90s, too. I mean, I love, yeah, that's what, I, mean, that's I like I was, Undercover yeah. Blues. I like Any Given Sunday he's great in. Switchback is a very underrated movie. I could see him being swapping with Coster in No Way Out, but I can't see yeah. Coster doing this. And it's not a good, because no. I don't, cause it's not my thing about Coster. It's a fact that. I, I, I just associate Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan at that right. time of, of being a couple. I couldn't imagine the two of them together. I could see Costner doing the Big Easy. Totally. God, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's it's an interesting thing because I mean, again, I liked both those guys, and I saw all of the all of the movies that all these guys. Because can you imagine Quaid and Bull Durham? I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, because I but but now but I'm so used to being a football guy, so I can't imagine right. him being a being a, a baseball guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's funny. I could I imagine Quaid in JFK? Maybe. Maybe. Could you imagine Quaid in the Untouchables? Kind of. Maybe. Could you imagine Costner in Enemy Mine? No. No. No, I don't think so. No. But you know, I mean, but again, Costner in Everybody's All American? Sure. I could see that. Yeah. I could see Quaid in No Way Out. They, you know, they were two actors that were like, you know, they were on the same trajectory and, you know, they both had a ton of success in the eighties and all right. well-deserved. I mean, but man, Suspect is a movie that people sleep on. Cause I think it came out the same year as Moonstruck, right? Like, and people yeah. just kind of forget about Suspect for some reason, but Suspect's good. Suspect is fantastic. And I, and I think because it came out at a time when they're making movies like, um, Jagged Edge. Yep. Stuff like that. And, and, and it was that. It was that kind of movie. They're like, we need our jagged edge. And that's what Suspect ended up being. Right. And that that, that, that cast is fucking killer. Liam Neeson doesn't oh, yeah. speak very much. But if you guys haven't seen this one, I'm not going to talk anymore about the movie. You said it was on Tubi? Yep, it's on Tubi. 
so watch Suspect. I have a feeling that this talking about movie, like you said, I think people have always slept on this, and you're going to see a great cast again. Eric Roth is a tremendous writer, and he killed the script on this. And of course, Peter Yates, uh, you you know his work quite a bit. Bullet, you know, Hot Rock, right? The Deep. I mean, beating it's something a little more current. Innocent Man. Speaking of uh, more courtroom stuff, it's a strong combination between with, with Yates and Roth. And you get to see Dennis Quaid play what you think is Dennis Quaid, but he's really pretty fucking great and shares tremendous. She's just yeah, fucking. Man. No, yeah. it's it's a really yeah. underrated movie. I, I, again, here, like here more more Quaid real quick though. Another and again, I forgot. I always forget about this movie. It's the third pairing of Quaid and Meg Ryan, but it's Steve Close, Flesh and Bone from '93, which is another is an, is another neo noir choice. So I was like, maybe you know, do we miss the boat on now? I'm glad we covered this because the conversation went to where it went. I don't know that our conversation we would have it. We wouldn't be having no. this kind of conversation about either of the other two movies no. in hindsight. No. But it is a fantastic movie if you haven't seen it. And I'm just looking at Quaid stuff. I mean, even the things that like, is is, is Great Balls of Fire a great movie? No. But is Dennis great Quaid fun as Jerry Lee Lewis? Fuck yeah, Fuckin yes. <laughs> is, is, is Quaid, have you seen Come See the Paradise, the Alan Parker movie? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Dude, that is another criminally underseen movie with, you know, a, a fantastic performance from Quaid. Uh, Postcards from the Edge. Post, okay, that's, that's what I was going to say. You didn't get a chance to see see Dennis Quaid play an asshole yet. Go to 1990, watch Postcards, and you get to yep. see him be an asshole. <laughs> yep. Enjoy it. Um, but, dude, his turn as Doc Holliday in Wyatt Earp is, to me, is just as interesting. I mean, look, I'm not going to say it's better than Kilmer in Tombstone, but it's it's not as... I don't want to say it's not as showy, but it's every bit as nuanced. And it, it's it, he, he's he's the best thing in that wider. And it's funny, I forgot we get him and Costner in the same movie together. That's right. Quaid, dude, for a good 20 years was your guy. I mean, and, and again, almost everything he's in, I enjoy the shit out of. Like all the way up to let's see, frequency, traffic, the rookie, you know, all the way up to far from heaven, like 2002. So there's a 20 year run where... Guy had like the magic touch. Like he also picking projects is a thing we, we, you know, that it plagues a lot of actors. Like, you know, like what was he thinking? But I don't know that he ever made, I don't feel like the Dennis Quaid ever made a a seriously a step that you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. What were you thinking? I'm going to do a a quadruple, ah, triple cross with stuff that we've done this month. And and one more Dennis Quaid recommended movie that's actually on Prime right now. And boy, talking about one that most people have never heard of, and if you if you heard of it, you probably have never seen it, is Wilder Napalm. Oh yeah, dude. I, I was just looking at it in the in his uh, filmography. What a fucking wacky ass movie. You talk about film choices for him to do this in '93. Deborah Winger, Dennis Quaid, Arliss Howard from a Glenn Gordon Karen directed movie from Mr. Vince Gilligan's script, and it is the fucking wackiest movie. When you see this, you you go, oh, is that the same Vince Gilligan that did Breaking Bad? And I'm like, yes, it is. But when you see this, this is very much in more in the X Files vein when he was working on X Files for Chris Carter. It was it's very much like that. And this came out right when he was doing that, right? Right when he was on X Files. So it's a wacky fucking movie. You've never seen it seriously. Just 
check it out. It's right up there, like with the dark backward. It's it's just it's a it's a weird movie, and this is the kind of movie where you look at the premise, you're like, wait, how the fuck did this movie get made? Right? How does how was that elevator pitch? What did you guys do to get this movie made? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, but thank you, whoever yeah. whoever made whoever got this movie made. Anyway, the, the 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 other part of the crossing of that was the fact that Michael came into the score of this as well as Mona Lisa. So there, that's the right. triple cross there. There you go. All right. Well, that's DOA, I guess. That's November for 2023. I can't be happier with our choices. Yeah, me neither. I, I, by the way, in a lot of ways, I'm glad DOA wasn't exactly the way we remembered it because then you know we're not full of shit. <laughs> right, look, here's the thing. We could have gone on here and been like, well, okay, you know, we'll, let's just talk about what we liked and what, but again, it, it makes for an interesting concept. And, and the thing is, is, you know, we're not just here to cover movies that we like. And also I feel like when we, if we, if we were to do that, people would be like, you guys are full of shit, man. You're just right. saying, you know, I mean, I'm not here to hawk anything or push any movie. I, I, I get, we don't get kickbacks from Kino no. or anyone else. You would but, think, you know, you would you'd think, think so. that, you know, you would think with the amount of Kino discs I own that I must've gotten some kickbacks. Yeah. There's some stuff you're like, why would you have that? Did somebody give it to you? <laughs> like, fuck right. off. But look, man, I, I'm glad we did this one last too because, I mean, again, it's very similar to Mona Lisa, right? Like Mona right. Lisa, you weren't, you were like, eh, and then we started talking about Mona Lisa and it was like, fuck, you know, it is great for a bunch of reasons. <laughs> right. This, we were both like, mm, you know, I didn't love it for the same reason, but yeah, but I did enjoy it. But I feel like it was it, it was well worth watching and talking about. And, you know, like every movie, again, it's the premise of the show. Is it better to remember? Is it better remembered? Do you, you know, this was a perfect movie for that because yeah. we saw it at that perfect age where we liked it for the style. Right. But looking at it now through, you know, 35 years, 37 years, whatever it is later, looking at it with life and many, many movies and knowing more <laughs> about, you know, being smarter than we were maybe when we were 17. Right. Or just more savvy to video, to, to what's happening in front of us. Right. But again, it's enjoyable. Will, will people like it? I mean, look, watch it. Don't, you know, I mean, if, if you're interested, well, yeah. if you like Quaid, you like Meg Ryan, if you like 80s things, if you like music videos, if you want to know what long form music videos, right? Look all that shit up. And then, you know, I mean, give right. it a spin. It's not a bad movie. It's, it's exactly what it, it's exactly what it always was. Right. And if you go into it, the caveat, knowing you're going to have these quirky, like music cues. And if you already go into it with that in your mind, they're not going to bother you. Right. Or yeah, yeah they're not at all. <laughs> If there's one thing that you can compare with the two noir movies we picked this month, other than them being the same year, there they we noted during Asphalt Jungle all the differences. The only thing they really have in common is they're black and white. They came out in 1950, and they're both American movies. That's really the yep. comparison between them. That's it. With between this and Mona Lisa, they have the same trouble. They have these two very 80s music moments in there where it's just. Yeah, if you got that, if you got that Genesis moment in this movie, would you have been surprised? No, we kind of got it because Tim Buck Three's in the fucking movie. Well, I was so. going to say the thing is, is what what you got as opposed to getting the gen. I mean, you got the more. I want to say, I want to say the more cutting edge one. If if I was if I'm looking at it from from in 2023, looking back at 1986 and 87, right. I'm looking at the Genesis drop in Mona Lisa. It's very safe. Everybody yeah. loves Genesis. Phil Collins was at the top of the fucking world. Yep. 
DOA. Timbuk3 had one hit, but were interesting and did kind of more edgy kind of. So I feel like DOA took a bigger swing. Right. Neil Jordan went for a fucking, you know, all right, let's just go for it. Let's just line a single. Let's just line a single up the middle. And that's what they did with the Genesis thing. These guys were like, like dude, we need an extra base hit. We, need, <laughs> we, we got runners in scoring position, but we're down by four. We need a triple or what, what you know, and they went for it. And, and, you know, and afford, unfortunately they fouled out maybe. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm putting a baseball analogy. Yeah. But you know what I mean? <laughs> Looking back, DOA took bigger risks and they maybe didn't pay off. Maybe they never paid off, but like now they're just yeah. more obvious. You look yeah. back, you hear the Genesis song in Mona Lisa and you're like, yeah, it's a comfort thing. It's like, you know, it's like drinking corn chowder out of a mug. But as much Maine. as it, as much as that stands out too, like as we know in the episode, I sang every fucking, and by the way, yeah. thankfully that's something else we didn't know in that episode, the songs there. And it's not a part of the song. It's the whole song. Yes. It, the entire it, song. It's like watching a music video in the movie. Right. And it, it, it was, I guess, this is a music video of a movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Instead of a movie, I guess. This is totally, this literally is like, if you want to see like a Neutron dance video, it's just, a, yeah. it's just. <laughs> like if Beverly Hills Cop, the entire movie was just Neutron dance. Yes. Or the heat is on. There you go. Okay, I'm going to say this. Next time Keno has a half-off sale, is it worth your time for half-off? Fuck yeah, it is. Yeah, man, totally. It's, is it worth putting in your library? I got a feeling of... Look, it's a movie that's hard to not like. Right, it, it really is. And, and With all its shortcomings. It, it does, and it does have the shortcomings. It's very much... You could have put this out in 86, it would have, and it wouldn't have surprised me. But the chemistry between the two of them is fantastic. Yep. And... Those those moments that we've talked about, those those things that that we were critical of, they're they're overshadowed by the performance between between these two rampling the same way. They're all everybody plays above what's being handed to them, and not, I'm not I'm not knocking the script that way because the script's pretty good, and the things that they took ownership of from the original and the things that they made their own. Again, other being a little long, the stories choices they made are pretty fucking good. Yeah, but it's it's a great time, and if it's possible to block Daniel Stern out of your mind, <laughs> right? Maybe do maybe watch Breaking Away before you watch this. I don't watch know. Watch Breaking Away or Diner, or watch there both of them. Watch both of those before you watch this, and don't even hesitate. Just put it right in there, and you should be okay, and not think about him robbing Macaulay Culkin. I would go see this movie if they played it at Vidiots. I would go see this movie in a theater just because this is a, this is the kind of movie that would yes. in, in a theater with the right crowd would be a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah, especially at Vidiots. Like that's the, that. Here's the thing: we were talking about each. I was with Mike Mislin, uh, who went with me to see the Wild Bunch the other night. We were talking about how each one of these theaters kind of has their niche. I feel like Vidiots. This is Vidiots' niche, like those sort of '80s movies that became bigger. On home video. Right. You know what I mean? That found right. their, that really found an audience. Like this movie grossed 12 or $13 million in theater, you know, not that open number three the week it came out and then kind of probably disappeared. But this is a movie we couldn't keep in on the video shelves. We had six copies of it. They were always out, you know? And I, I feel like that's what Vidiots is to me. Like the movies they show at Vidiots are things that I discovered or saw and fell in love with and saw them multiple times on VHS. 
Right. And, and that makes perfect sense because they're, they started as a video store. So yes. So, Hey, if you guys are listening, <laughs> can you guys do DOA for me? <laughs> I want to throw a little bonus in there. This is, or maybe I'll cut this out. We talked about everybody but Jay Patterson. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, I mean talk, well, about I think, a, talk about a dude yeah. that was like in, he was in all of these kinds of movies, all yep. of them. And he, and he's not always, he doesn't have a lot of speaking parts in him. He's just in them. He's just in all these movies. Dude, I didn't know Places in the Heart was his first movie. Yeah. Crazy. Heaven right? help us. Heaven help us. Dude, I, dude his yeah. list, his filmography is like, we mentioned almost like 90% of the shit that oh, he's yeah. got on here. No, I know. Street smart, you know, which might be my favorite Christopher, Christopher Reeve movie. Nadine, dude. Nadine's exactly Na- the kind dude, of movie I was talking say, about. Nate- I was funny. I was going to mention Nadine because I was going to say, you want to talk about there can be only one. The third part of that right. was Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. The I know. <laughs> the, the, there were three of those guys. And I'm going to say, I've said this many times. Did Jeff Bridges rule the 1980s? Jeff Bridges is in so many fucking movies so from 1980s, many. 1999. So many movies. So that, many. Like, and even more than Costner and Quaid. Like he's in things like Nadine. <laughs> he's right. in things like Eight Million Ways to Die. You know, the morning after. I mean, it's it's crazy. Like the, the, there was enough that those three guys. Right. And I mentioned one of anybody else to be in what, a movie. <laughs> right. We mentioned against all odds. And, but you know, also in just this very episode, I mentioned Jagged, Jagged Edge, 85, yeah, dude. Totally. It's like, dude. And we mentioned morning after earlier this year, a couple of times. Yep. Yeah, dude. That man, that man was in, had just, I know everybody looks at the big Lebowski, but I'm sorry, dude, the eighties, he fucking rocked balls, dude. He just killed. Dude, yeah, they're, they're, the 80, for me, like the, the majority of fantastic roles from Bridges was in the 80s. And it's funny, I don't know that we've covered, have we covered any Bridges movies? I don't know. No, we, we, we talked about doing we Kiss Me Goodbye. Time, but we Remember just, we yeah, were going to do Kiss yeah, Me we, Goodbye for, mm-hmm. first, for September because it was so different than the dude, other movies that we were talking about doing. We've talked about Tron. We've talked about Starman. We talked, you know, we just, oh, again, we mentioned, mentioned Fabulous Baker Boys when we were doing Grease yep. too. So it's like, yeah, dude, that one, fucking Jesus Christ, this is, this, this is, this is Patreon extra goodness right here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, anyway. Okay, um, yeah, one of these days we'll get around to making a Jeff Bridges movie uh, episode because we yeah, have We could do a whole month, we could do a whole month dedicated to Bridges, Costner, and um, Quaid. Yeah. And then we could end with Costner and Quaid in one movie together. Although I don't know, I feel like Jeff Bridges could get his own month. <laughs> That's what I mean. I'm like, what would be the what would be the what's a what's a what's a funny name we can give him like for a month? Jeff Ember. <laughs> I don't know, man. Or you know, Jeff Brid- Ember. Br- bridges to cross, and we could cross it. We could we could do uh, we could we could throw in we could throw in the Fabulous Baker Boys because there's two of them in two bridges in it. Um, I don't know, man. But there's they're just dude. Nadine is a great movie. Holy shit! Yeah, I dude. always fucking I yeah. loved Nadine when it came out. Probably the first time I ever thought you know I loved Kim Basinger and something was in Nadine. That and Bl- and Blind Blind Date. I'm just going to jump right to the socials because I think we already closed this out once. We're close we to that again. <laughs> socials, you already know. At Karate Pod on Twitter, Insta, and Letterboxd. And Letterboxd, you follow Corey at Corey underscore Culp. And on Instagram, is Culbert97. And if you want to support the show on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash Karate Pod. If you like to follow me, you can follow me at rockandroll 33 on your Instagram. Or you can follow me at Vernon Hightower at Letterboxd. That's <laughs> Vernon Hightower at Letterboxd. I really had no idea where you're going to go because we talked about like 80 movies yeah, in this episode. <laughs> Oh, shit.